Well, good morning again, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. Hope that you've had a good week and that you're enjoying the holiday weekend a little bit. Even though the temps are warm, the nice breeze keeps it manageable to be outside. It's kind of a, a thing to enjoy. You know, unless you are planning and hosting a big party, usually holiday weekends like this are a time for us to slow down, to relax a little bit, to enjoy some time off, to enjoy a little bit of rest. You know, this summer has been busy in a lot of ways for many of us, whether that's through different things with work, whether that's travel plans, whether that's just trying to keep up with inflation and running kids around and things like that. It just seems to be busy. But do you ever notice how we, we leave one busy season and we enter the next busy season and we can't even remember what the previous busy season was like or how we even managed to get through that? It's kind of interesting sometimes when we, we look at the seasons that we go through, the fast-paced, connected lifestyles that we have, um, they, can, they can really wear down on us, you know? So that's why I like weekends like this where we can have a time just to slow down, just to relax a little bit, just to simplify life a little bit, you know? And as you get older, you begin to appreciate a little bit more those seasons in life. You know, throughout many seasons of my life, I have different mental images that are stored away where I've really appreciated what the Father has given me, what he has blessed us with, um, and understanding each week. You know, I want to try to be simple. I want to rest in him, and I want to pursue him more and more. You know, and this week, being a holiday week, being kind of restful, I want to focus on something a little bit more simple, something a little bit more beautiful and basic, but hopefully something that's very transformational to us. So this week we're going to be reading in Colossians chapter 2, um, and we're only going to be reading verses 6 and 7 today. So if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to stand as you're able as we read these two verses. beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, as we look at the simplicity of your word, we just want to praise you for the simplicity of your salvation through Jesus Christ your son. I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning and that we can understand your truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's funny, sometimes the Lord just throws thoughts into your mind because I know where I'm going to be going later in the sermon and as I had you stand for two verses and then sit back down, it just took me back to the Catholic Church a little bit, so it's kind of fun. But this morning, we're going to cover just two verses. Um, last week, I could probably have talked about verse 24 in chapter 1 the entire time. There was a lot of stuff in there, a lot more that we can unpack. You know, when we go into a deeper type of theme, 
such as suffering and affliction, obviously there's a lot more that we could talk about. There's a lot more that is there, even within those verses or other verses to help us understand more around that topic. And I'm hoping when we do deeper dives like that, it becomes a catalyst for you, where you pursue that and you, you take that time to spend with the Lord and seek him out in those areas. Because as again, as we all face those hard times, we want God's truth to be instructing us as we're facing those things. You know, um, today though, when we look at our passage and we see what Paul is stating very simply, very clearly, it's something that's basic for Christians. And we want to break down some of these terms, some of these phrases, to understand the importance with them so that we can address maybe some laziness that we might have in our own walks, in our own faith, and how we're approaching the Word of God. So as we begin, we see that it starts with a therefore. And of course, we have to ask, what's it there for? You know, the, the basic teaching and truth that Paul is giving in these two verses are an applied reason, okay? It's an applied reason that he is going to have them to understand so as to avoid false teaching. These purpose verses are kind of like a small interruption from the section that began in, in verse 15 in chapter 1 for the section that's going to be following. He's kind of giving them encouragement in between here. Um, these two verses coincide well with his prayer in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 1. And then it kind of sums up beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1 all the way down to verse 5 in chapter 2. That's kind of the section that this therefore is linked to. So all of the things that Paul says in that section from 15 to verse 5, um, he is summing up right here, basically saying, you know, continue to have harmony as you follow Christ with sound teaching. Paul is speaking to those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So again, this is a charge for the believers. This isn't a form of evangelism. This isn't speaking to the unbelievers. It is a charge to the believers to continue to walk in faith as they have received Jesus. Okay? So then you look at that first phrase, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's break this down. Again, sometimes we can read that. We can read that phrase, think, okay, yep, got it, moving on. But when we do that, we miss some of the beauty. We miss some of the background behind that. Um, and I, see, I want us to see that depth today. So just simply starting with, with the word as. It's just a simple word that you could probably just read right over. To me, what this shows is Paul is, again, speaking to sincere believers here. And this as can be seen as a since, just like the if from chapter 1. It is more of an assumed, consistent knowledge that Paul has that he is speaking to those who have received Christ there at Colossae. It's a done deal in his mind, and he's exuding this confidence back to them that they are saved, that they have received Jesus. So this is a form of encouragement. I mean, it would be similar the way that he uses this, and it's the as is connected with the so as well. They kind of go hand in hand. But it would be very similar to where if I were to say something like, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as a worker, you know, it, this word is denoting something that is, if this speaks a reality in your life, then this. Okay, so again, Paul is speaking to the brothers and sisters in the faith. He's telling them this truth, that they have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. 
you know, this, this week just doing two verses, it allowed me a lot more time to do some word studies, to do some language studies, and I love language. So I got to look at the Greek, I got to look at the Latin a little bit more in depth, and I look, got to look at the verb tenses, which I'll draw that out in a little bit, but it's very interesting as you look at things that we can just simply read over because it's in English, that you might miss in something that, is, that Paul is expressing. And throughout all of this, what we want to understand is the free grace language that's being used. You look at the term received. To receive something means that it's not earned. It's not purchased by you. It is a gift. And then what is the gift in this passage? They receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. They received a person. And I want us to let that sink in a bit because you're going to be challenged later to examine what it is you have received in your faith. Now, the Latin term for this is asepistus, which maybe you can see the relation to the English word. New Living Translation translates this word as, as you have accepted Christ Jesus, the Lord. You know, sometimes language can be a sticky wicket. You know, it can be a hindrance. It can be a barrier for people at times because we want to say the right things and, and maybe we try our best to, to do that and we trip up on some words. We're not sure exactly which words to say when we're sharing our faith or when we're evangelizing or when we're explaining something that is biblical. You know, maybe we've had an encounter with somebody that was more of a, a judgmental type of Christian. We just, then just stay quiet because I don't know wh what words to say. I don't know how to s explain things the right way. I mean, do we accept him? Do we receive him? Yes. To receive something is to accept something. The gift is offered, but it also needs to be received because it's not forced upon you. It's not shoved down your throat. And there might be some slight differences in understanding these two terms, but what we want to really understand is that they have received him as a gift. Nothing has been earned. They received him into their knowledge, to their understanding, to their desires, to their trust, to their life through new birth. You know, um, let me give you a practical example about receiving. What if I were to offer you a gift of $1,000 today, would you accept it? It's interesting looking at the age groups because the kids are like, what? Yep, I'll take that. How fast can $1,000 be spent? You, know, you think about, would you accept that gift? You know, would you be thinking, no, no, I can't. I can't accept that. That's kind of you, but I can't. You know, do we put on the airs? Do we put on the niceties because we're in public? But, you know, if you are in moments of despair and need, $1,000 can go a long way. It can pay some bills. It can feed the kids. It can be pay for groceries. Do you feel ashamed to receive it? Do you reject it because you don't want to owe anyone anything else? You know, if it's offered, if it's there as a provision for you, but you don't receive it, then it has no benefit to you. You must receive what is being offered. Now, there's been a lot of pushback over the years 
uh, of different ways that have been used to describe salvation, where people are encouraged to, to give their hearts to the Lord or something along those lines. Many times it's well-intentioned, it's well-meant, and I try not to be overcritical, but some of those language, some of those types of things are not the gospel. You know, it does, the gospel does not say that we invited Jesus into our hearts. It doesn't say that we have studied the truth and we've reasoned and discovered the person of Jesus in some way. Now, the Bible does say, seek and you shall find. The truth will set you free. And that men are created, or that men are without excuse. Those things, however, drive you to the person of Jesus. You know, you think of even people like C.S. Lewis, who were avowed atheists. They read the Bible, they searched the truth, they studied it, but what they found was the free gift of grace that is offered through what Jesus did on the cross. What they found was the person of Jesus. And what this language that Paul uses does is it strips away any form of boasting, any type of being able to puff ourselves up to say that we did something, that it's we using some active verb to earn salvation, to get salvation. No, we simply receive the free gift of Jesus Christ that was given by God. By receiving, you have something given to you, and that is a blessed hope, because then your possession of him is certain. You don't have to have the fear of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, many will come to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And Jesus will simply say, away from me, I never knew you, you evildoer. See, the gospel message is about the grace of God, something that is freely given. And the good news is that by his grace, we have been given eternal life and redemption through Jesus to be saved. To be saved, a sinner must simply accept that. It must be received. And Paul says that the believers are receiving the person of Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Lord. Again, working with other languages, sometimes within that word, you will have pronouns built into that word. Sometimes you will have definite articles built into that word. And then when there's an article in front of that type of word, what that does is it adds emphasis, where it brings out a title. Um, and in the Greek, very literally, this is what it says for this week, for that phrase. Um, you have received the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. So when we look at how that is written, we see a threefold character of Jesus being described there. It's an exact phrase that Paul doesn't use anywhere else in his writings. When you think about these terms, you look at the Christ. Christ is the anointed one, the one who is commissioned by God. By him using this term, it is asserting Jesus' deity. This would be something that the Jews would deny. The Jews are out there looking for the Messiah, um, and they're missing the fact that Jesus is that person. Then you have the term Jesus, Jesus the Savior, the one who sent to redeem to sanctify us. By using his name here, he is asserting Jesus' humanity. This is something that the Gnostics and the Docetists would have denied. If you recall, we've talked about them the last few weeks. They would say that Jesus only appeared to have a human body. He couldn't have had a human body in the flesh because the flesh is inherently evil. Then you have the Lord who is to reign and rule over them as king. That's what that term is asserting. It's asserting his sovereignty. And I think 
many of the false teachers, many of the other nations that would be around this scene would deny Jesus' lordship. Um, they're wanting that power. They're wanting that attention for themselves. They're wanting to be their own king, their own lord, their own ruler to do what they want. The nations would want the power or the, the accolades that the believers are giving to Jesus. They would want that for themselves. They would want them to follow their reign and their rule. But this is how Paul is describing the person of Jesus to them. This is what the person of Jesus, or the, the believer of Jesus believed. This is what you're agreeing to as you receive Jesus, that he is fully God, that he is fully man, and that he is king over your life. Is that how you picture Jesus? Again, we talked about this last week, grace and salvation is about receiving Jesus, receiving a person. It's not about receiving a system or religion, but rather the wonderful person of Jesus. And you know, growing up in the Catholic Church, I was taught for years many things. I was taught about Jesus. I was taught about the Catholic faith and what to believe. In many ways, I was brought up into traditions of my parents. Now, with all of that foundation, I don't regret any of that because there's a lot of beauty within the liturgy of the Mass. As I was bring, being brought up, there was a connection that was being established to Jesus, something that I had always had. I understood who he was. I understood what he did for me on the cross. I understood that my sins were many and that he died to pay for those sins. But in a lot of ways, I was going through the motions. I went to Mass twice a week. I was confirmed in the eighth grade. I was a Eucharistic minister in high school. I enjoyed practicing the faith. Then in college, I began to fall away because they had mass at 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon when football was on. And my parents weren't there to drag me to church anymore, so I had the decision. And I realized, you know what? I like drinking. I like being out with my friends. I like doing all of this other stuff instead. And I began to fall away. Through meeting Elaine, I had many conversations with her about faith. She challenged me to know why I believed what I claimed to believe, why I was doing what I was doing, even though I said I was a believer. Through the next six, seven months, I set out to read the, the Bible on my own. I began to be mentored by a fellow tennis player, and I recall vividly one night in the uh, maybe late winter, early spring time, we were at Campus Crusade, and we were worshiping, the band was just playing music, and I just started praying. And I heard Matt praying right beside me, and the, and the Spirit just brought into my mind, when two or more are present, I am there. And the Spirit just flooded me. And I was floored, I was taken back. I was like, what was that? I was so excited, I was so elated, and I was scared, because I didn't know what that was. Matt explained it to me before, and you know that it, it's at that time that I always attribute to, to my point of salvation, to where I knew that I was saved, that I knew that I was his, and that I had received him. You know, and I look back at that time, and from that moment on, I mean, at that time I knew I was saved, but I mean, I was still steeped in 
drinking. I was still steeped in pornography. I was still doing all these other types of things to where it took time for the Spirit to work in my life and draw me closer to Him. And where I was engaged more with the person of Jesus and understanding that grace rather than a system, rather than a religion, rather than a denomination. And the Lord slowly began to change me. And it was beautiful to see. I would go back to the Catholic Church. I, I would split time between the Catholic Church and going to church with Elaine. And that, that first time that I came back, after that moment, I was in tears during the Mass. I, I just could not believe the beauty in the words that were being used. Things that just fly over your head, just like we're going through with the terms. So for instance, the term Eucharist, which they use for communion, that's the same term for Thanksgiving that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Different combinations or different connections that we just don't even realize. And I'm looking around, and I'm in tears at the beauty of this, and the Lord is speaking to me, and people are sleeping, people are yawning, people are zoned out. It's like, how do they not get this? How do they not hear what's going on? And the Lord very sweetly said, Kurt, you didn't either. Touche. Then I go the next week to Elaine's church, and I'm, I'm listening to the sermon, I'm in the word, I'm diving deeper, I'm loving it, and I look around, and people are asleep, people are yawning, people are zoned out. I just chuckled, I'm like, huh, it's the same everywhere, isn't it? And it just, it dawned on me, that relationship aspect, that one-on-one -on -one aspect that is needed in our faith. to where it has to be understood that you receive Jesus. You don't receive a theology. You don't receive a religion, a denomination, or the tradition of your parents. It's your walk. It's your faith with the Lord. Now, that's not to say that I don't have disagreements with some of the things that the Catholic Church teaches. I mean, there's disagreements that I have with a lot of the things that the Protestant Church teaches as well. You know, you think of prosperity theology and the prosperity gospel. You think of pastors that would say something like, well, of course Jesus was a Calvinist. That's elevating a theology or a system above the person of Christ. And it's a warning because we're all prone to it. If theology is just man's attempt to study God. As impossible as that may seem, it's man's ideas about God that we try to get from the scriptures. But I'm just a man. I'm going to screw up. I'm just, <laughs> I always try to warn you guys that. Take what I say with a grain of salt. Back it up in the scriptures. You know, to understand that it's about the person. So that is who they are receiving. Then we come to the term so. Again, so is connected to the term as. As you have received so you are to walk in him. And I think that this connection of as and so connects right back up into his prayer in chapter one, verses nine through 12. Uh, more specifically with the walking, um, in verse 10 of chapter one, he gives a little bit more teaching on the walking with him in this next verse in verse seven. Um, if you recall, we did have a fun series a while back about keeping in step with the spirit, walking with the spirit, and we unpacked that term. It's a rich term. Um, very similar to something like a phrase of in him. You know, we could read over it very quickly. 
but it's packed full of information because to walk denotes activity. It's about doing the work of the Lord and obediently following and serving him. And this work is done out of gratitude um, for what he has already done for us. Remember, this is not a work for salvation. He's speaking to those who have already received Jesus. Okay, so this is a, you get to work with him, you get to work for him to move his kingdom forward as you are advancing the kingdom, as you are walking, and it's a daily progress. It's consistent, it's constant. Um, And then this term walk is a command. So it's not a suggestion, it's not a, here's four easy tips to a better life now. This is a command. As you have received, now you walk. It is something that we must do as believers. And, and as we have this life in Christ, Paul is encouraging them with four things in terms of their walking in verse seven. To be rooted, to be built up, to be established in the faith, and to be abounding in thanksgiving. He's telling them this to, again, build up against false teaching uh, that's gonna be happening in the next few verses um, but then as you kind of look at, at an overall, this is kind of like a sandwich style teaching where he's giving them encouragement here in these two verses. He gives them the warning in verse eight and then he goes back to, to the truth of Christ. So again, he, he takes the focus always back to Christ and how he is writing this book. And it's a wonderful thing to see. So he has these encouraging words for them and he's encouraging them in four areas, four things that kind of describe what a healthy Christian life can look like. The first thing is that they are rooted. Being rooted gives you like a picture of a tree or a plant, something that has a strong root structure. And you're thinking of a healthy root structure, right? Where it's fixed firmly. This can connect to Ephesians 3.17, which I read in our call to worship. It said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now we can also connect this back up to verse 10. If you look there in chapter one, um, where it talks about bearing fruit. Again, having a good root structure would bear fruit. And again, with both of the contexts in chapter one and chapter two, as it's speaking about walking in him, we can again see this consistency that Paul is using. As we connect it to the other books, such as Galatians and Ephesians, and you see this constant theme of walking in him, keeping in step with the spirit, we again see this consistent teaching that Paul is giving where we understand this, that this deep rooting in Christ is showing how he is the life-giving soil. He is the sustaining foundation for the believer. And then when we look at this verb, um, when you parse it out and understand what it means, it is a perfect passive. I'm sure, kids, you're already learning all of that in Latin classes and English classes this year. But a perfect passive is something that has been done to them in the past. Okay, so this is not their own work. This has been done to them in the past. It's important for us to understand, especially as we go through these other verbs. Secondly, being built up in him. Now this would point more towards a building structure. First uh, Peter 2, 5 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Another reference in 1 Corinthians chapter three. I'm gonna 
read a bigger section of this, um, verses 10 through 17, so that way we can kind of get the, the context. This is one of your main passages for the spiritual building. So again, 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be, be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So to be built up is to increase the potential of something or someone with the focus on the process that's involved. You are strengthening it. You are making it more able. And Paul has shared that he would much rather build up rather than tear down. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And when we look at this this built up term, this verb is a present passive. So again, the work is being done to them, but it is more in a continuous nature. So this shows how the spirit is continually transforming us. The spirit is sanctifying us. He is building us up. Okay. Thirdly, established in the faith, just as they were taught. Now to be established talks about the foundation and the firmness the strength of the structure, where faith is like the cement in a building. It's kind of, it's about them being steadfast, firm, solidly on the ground, solidly grounded in the Lord. If you look back up in chapter one, verse 11, we see how they are being strengthened with all power, according to the glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And then you look down in verse 28, in chapter one, you see how Paul's desire is to present them as mature Christians, so they are to be growing on the firmness of their faith and the ways that they've been taught. This verb also is a present passive. So again, continuously being worked on by someone else. And then fourthly, abounding in thanksgiving. This matches up with verse 12 in chapter one about giving thanks. And in that part of chapter one, the reason why they give thanks is listed there as well in terms of what Christ has done in his redeeming work. As a believer, we should be abounding in thanksgiving. It's not a just, oh yeah, thanks, that's nice, appreciate it, and then on your merry way. It should be noticeable, it should be an outpouring, it should be overflowing in our lives. And this verb is a present active. So this is one that we do. This is a continuous daily occurrence when we are thankful. That is our response to what God has done. So hopefully you can see how important it is to understand verbs and why that matters. Because there's such an emphasis on thanksgiving within this letter, within Paul's writings. And, and with that emphasis that's being shown already, we can maybe have a speculation that there might be a lack 
of thankfulness in the Colossians' lives. You know, where we can apply that to our own lives and ask whether or not we are thankful. Because a lack of thankfulness can open us up or make us vulnerable to doubt, to false teaching, to spiritual delusion. Because if we're not thankful for what we have or who we have received, then perhaps we're looking elsewhere to fill that void. Perhaps we're looking to other things to fill that gap because we're not having a life full of thankfulness. Having a thankful spirit is sharing the joy of Christ that is in you. And it's used as a way to to mark maturity in a Christian's life. When we're abounding in thanksgiving, we're making progress in our walks because it expresses the way in which we are grateful to God for Christ's saving work in our life. So today I'm asking that you examine your relationship with Christ. You know, we had communion earlier and we were asked to examine ourselves there. Perhaps you asked for some forgiveness of sins this week. Perhaps you showed some thankfulness to God for the grace that you've received. But I want us to meet with the Lord today and examine our hearts in terms of what we have received. Have we received traditions, a denomination, a set of ideals or preferences of what church should be like? Have we received a ticket to heaven so that we can just comfortably in our assurance go on living however we want to in this life? Or have we received the person of Jesus, the Christ, the Lord? As you have received him, so walk in him. Right? So we walk with thankful hearts, taking the teachings that we've been given in the gospel to follow his commands where we have a life of thanksgiving and joy because our eyes are set on the hope of glory that is to come. It looks at the work that's set before us with gratitude because we get to work with Christ and for Christ. We get to help advance his kingdom by being his hands and feet. Thanksgiving helps us to fend off doubts and false teachings that would rob us of the joy that we have in Christ, where we know that he is the hope of glory that we are awaiting. Examine whether or not you are firmly rooted in him, the person, and not a system of theology. Examine whether you are being built up by the word and the spirit, or are you being built up by the world and your flesh. Examine whether or not you are being established in your faith, strengthened to his purposes and designs, versus your own. And examine your heart and your life on whether you are abounding in thanksgiving because we have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. My hope, my encouragement with these simple verses that we go over this morning is to slow down and to rest in him, to show a peaceful assurance that you are his as you have received him. And if you're straying from that thought, if you're straying from who he is, if you're so focused uh, on the other things in life, receive his grace anew today because his mercies are anew. Understand who he is and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this day that we get to come and worship you, that we get to come and praise your holy name, and what an awesome time to be thankful in you. Lord, the joy that we have in this life comes from the fact that we are known by you and we know you. And Lord, again, language To know you is more than just acknowledging you, more than just knowing about you. 
but it is a deep and intimate personal knowledge. So I pray for each one here, Lord, that we can meet with you in strong ways this week, that we can examine our faith, that we can examine our lives. We can examine what we are setting up around us. And Lord, as your word says in in Corinthians, that as it is tested by fire, certain things will stand and certain things won't. So Lord, I pray that we can fill our lives with with your hope, with your glory, um, following your commands. And you command us to walk as we have received you. So I pray, that, Lord, that you would allow us to walk as ones that are rooted, firmly established in you, being built up in you, and abounding in thanksgiving. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.